guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're doing an interview with an abductee, where I interview an everyday alien abduction experiencer. Just before we get to that, though, I just want to say if you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes of Paranormal Thoughts, please make sure you subscribe. If you also want to leave us a five-star rating on whatever platform you use, that helps us out massively. And of course, if you know anyone who might be interested in hearing the podcast, please feel free to share it onto them. That helps us out a lot as well. Word of mouth is probably the best way for more people to come across Paranormal Thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. All you got to do is type in Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. Also, there is a private Facebook group as well. So if you search Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, that will come up. And if you want to send a request, um, I'll add you into that group where we all kind of discuss uh, certain bits and pieces of the paranormal uh, in a really safe environment. So if you're interested in something like that, then uh, feel free to join the group over there. If you want to reach out to me, definitely drop me a DM on Facebook or Instagram, or you can even email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. I always like hearing from you guys. A fair few of you reach out just to kind of say hello and kind of let me know a little bit about your experience. Uh, Some of you even ask for some advice or even just to be heard, I suppose, um, as a bit of a, just someone who is going to listen to you and not be uh, judgmental or anything like that. So if you're in a position where, you feel like you need to speak with someone, um, definitely shoot me a message. And um, if I'm able to help, I'll definitely do the best I kind of can. So in this episode, I'm speaking to an anonymous user by the name of Forbidden Snacky over on Reddit. I believe Forbidden Snacky reached out to me after I made a post on Reddit, like I have been doing for years, looking for everyday experiences to come forward and she has been active by looks at on Reddit for the last year or so, making a bunch of posts about her experiences. I've even seen uh, she did some sketches on some of the beings that she witnessed. And um, her story was really interesting. It it goes, it, it definitely follows a very similar storyline to a lot of experiences, especially experiences who deal with the grey alien beings as well. Uh, Once again, it sounds like her family are all involved, uh, being taken from a young age. The interesting thing with this guest is the amount of information she's been able to get out of these beings during these experiences over the years. And I've spoken to people in a similar position as well. It's, It's always interesting whether or not people are really maybe digging for answers or even want to know answers and how much they can actually you know, receive when they ask these beings um, in comparison to maybe people who don't want to or don't know how to really go about that. So this interview definitely goes into me just asking a lot of questions about, well, what have you discovered? You know, what what do you see? What's the whole purpose of all of this since uh, they were so open about, you know, asking all these questions um, and receiving lots of information over the amount of time that um, she's had these abductions it's always interesting speaking with anonymous guests and I always give people the option when they come on Paranormal Thoughts they want to remain anonymous because I completely understand how full on it is to come forward with your story, you know, sharing it with thousands of people and also then opening yourself up to um, allowing people to reach out as well. So you can definitely find this person on Reddit. I might even post their uh, using it. If you search their username, you'll be able to find them on Reddit as well. So you can go check out their posts and, you know, if you want to reach out to them for any questions or anything like that, I'm sure that is totally fine. It's, uh, that's kind of the whole reason for the platform of Reddit. 
So with that, let's get into this episode of Interview with an Abductee. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Obviously, you want to remain anonymous, which is totally understandable. I can, um, I've done these interviews before with people who are in the same position. Uh, and, you know, I guess for the longest time when I started this podcast, I was somewhat anonymous. I never really mentioned my name per se, or I think I did maybe in the very first episode, but I kind of um, shied away, I suppose, from a lot of it just because, well, you know, the you don't you don't really want backlash or oh even, yeah like the stigma is massive yeah people who are normally like nice or even just passive to current events they'll they'll go out of their way to ridicule someone with experiences like this exactly right and it's not to say that i think for me i mean i still don't even necessarily i'm not like this is me here's my like entire existence or anything because i just feel like for me personally it's not really that relevant to the actual the podcast, you know, that I'm actually putting out, even though people do kind of want to know more. But, um, but yeah, over time, I have become far more open, even just within everyday life with this stuff. But even still, I'm um, still protective of elements of this, you know what I mean? Un- unless it's like very close um, sort of members of like family or even some friends and so on, you know. But I completely understand what this is like. But um, just before we, I guess, get into your experiences, I'm just curious, have you spoken to many, if anyone at all, about kind of what you've gone through? Well, um, let's see, like starting from the beginning of my life, I at times would speak to my family members about it. Um, when I was a kid, I would have like incomplete memories. I would go through states of remembering things and then not remembering them afterwards. Um, there would be anomalous things that would happen in my home, like people waking up in places where they didn't go to sleep, um, objects out of place, um, missing time, that kind of thing. And as a little kid, I, I quickly got the impression that whatever exactly was going on that I couldn't completely remember was seen as antagonistic by my parents. Um, so when I would try to bring it up, my I mean, when my dad was still in the picture of my life, I wasn't really good at speaking, so I never spoke to him about it. But my mom was in the picture for all of my childhood. So as I got older, I started to speak to her about it, and she wouldn't acknowledge it unless we were alone. So if there was, like, my siblings around, I was like, hey, mom, something weird happened last night. She'd be like, no, it didn't. 
things were normal. But then if I went and asked her again, maybe a day or two later, hey, mom, something was weird like two or three nights ago. She was like, yeah, I know. Um, and it was weird because, you know, I would see my siblings during experiences. I have this distinct memory of I couldn't have been older than like seven years old. I was probably six years old and I was crying um, because one of these beings, one of the greys that would come and visit me and my family, they had asked me to do something while I was on their ship and it scared me. So I started crying because I felt like I couldn't say no, but I wanted to. I was like, I don't think I can do this. And they're like, don't worry, you can do this. And I was like, no, I can't do it. Um, and I remember that my my oldest sister, she came in from another room after a few minutes and she she crouched down to me and she said, don't worry, Snacky, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Like, you don't have to stop crying, but you know that you're safe and you know that you don't have to be afraid. Um, and that was a really distinct memory for me because I, I realized later in the context of that memory, the greys around me, they hadn't been able to comfort me. So they they asked my sister to come into the room and comfort me. So she was doing something else and they asked her to calm me down. Um but in waking life and day to day, none of my siblings would acknowledge it unless something truly anomalous had happened. Like one time my sister said, my other sister, because uh, I have an oldest and then second oldest sister. My second oldest sister said she saw someone walk through the window one night. And when she went to check the window, it was closed. So she said she saw a silhouette of a man and he walked through the window from apparently the silhouette was in her room and walked through a window to exit the room. And when she went to check, the window was locked. It had never been opened. And to me as a kid, I was like, oh, that's definitely them. They walk through walls. But to her, she was like, it was a ghost. And I can't say that I was there. I can't say I saw anything. But that was the only time anything anomalous was ever really spoken about. Um, as I got older, like a year or two after I finished high school, I thought about it more because I had kind of buried it in my life at that point, And I started to come back to it. And I'm like, no, this is this is substantial. This is serious. And I actually started, I made an anonymous Twitter account and I started talking about my experiences then. Um, and there was definitely an audience for that, or at least, you know, some kind of uh, reception for that. A lot of people were really inspired by everything I was talking about. Um, some people were deeply insulted that I ever suggested anything like that. Um, but for a time I was trying to do that and I was open to it about my family. They were like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm disclosing the truth on Twitter. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the the things that we never talk about that, you know, would constantly happen in the middle of the night. They're like, nothing would happen in the middle of the night. I was like, then you won't mind that I tell everyone something did happen. Um, so, and then I got more of an antagonistic response from my family. Nobody wanted me to be talking about it, even if it wasn't real. And uh, about a year and a half into doing that, I stopped because the antagonism from my family, along with life circumstances, made it really hard to stay consistent on my account, so... And that was like probably three years ago, three or four. Yeah, and these experiences you mentioned started when you were quite young. Oh, absolutely. Like, I remember being so small that when I would walk, I would feel unsteady. And I remember that sometimes these these greys, they would tower over me and they would reach down and extend their hands to me and I would hold on to their hands as I would walk with them to stay steady. One time I was trying to remember, I was like, well, what's the earliest memory I really have with them? Hmm. And I had this image pop into my head and it was of my family and my mom in the middle of the night. My mom was holding a baby and this light started to shine down at them. They were looking at the sky. And as, as this image came into my mind, I saw that there was actually like two grays standing next to my family in this image. 
and they were being led up into a ship. But from this image, the perspective of this image, I could tell was from a gray that was watching. Uh, so in this perspective, it kind of zoomed in until the perspective was on the face of the baby in my mom's arms, and I realized that was me. So somewhere in the course of my life, a gray gave me a memory of the first time they saw me, which was as a newborn. That's really interesting. Yeah, and that's not the first time that they've shared memories with me. There's There's been countless times, and I, I can't remember every instance perfectly, but I know that sharing memories, especially from their point of view, is something they do on the regular. What is a... Do you have a, not to use the word typical, but kind of a an experience that is recurring or do they vary? Like what, what would be the standard kind of uh, abduction for you, would you say? No, I, I can't remember any experience start to finish. What I usually remember is bits and pieces or bigger bits and pieces of different events. But what I can say is I know that usually how the experience will go if they're visiting in person is they'll wake up everyone that they want to take in the household or in the apartment, like you'll get like a telepathic message in your dream being like, we're coming, wake up. We need you awake. Um, And that will bring you to wakefulness. Like something about that makes you wide awake. And so this warning will come like between like five and 20 minutes before they show up. And then when they show up, the power goes out. It doesn't always completely go out, but electronics will just like slowly die or suddenly die around you if they're on. And you start to hear this like deep thrumming in the air. It's not like a truck rolling down a street, which is a loud, like very big sound. It's more like being near a waterfall, but in a forest. So you don't hear the whole waterfall. You just feel a vibration in the air. Um, And so as they get closer, this vibration in the air, it's coming from their ship and it starts to just pass through every object around you. Like I've been able to tell before where exactly a ship is outside of the building by the way the sound is hitting the rooms and is hitting me. Um, So the sound comes and then usually at that point, it'll like wind down a little bit. It'll go from like really loud and kind of pressing to a little quieter. And then usually grays will enter the building somehow. They very rarely use doors. They, They actually typically prefer to walk through a really thin wall or walk through a window. And sometimes they'll take like me or my siblings or whatever while we're fully awake and just walk through the wall with us into the light from the ship that ends up lifting us into the ship or into like a place nearby where then the ship turns on its light and takes us into the air. But sometimes they'll have us stay in a semi-asleep state, like sleepwalking. And they'll still guide us out either by floating us out or by walking with us. And then we get taken up into the light of the ship and it lifts us into the ship. But those are just the physical abductions because I, in analyzing and slowly remembering more and more, I realized that there were many times they actually visited my dreams directly or they would take, I guess, an astral body out of me and take that part of me into the ship and do things with me there. That's interesting that you mentioned that there's physical abductions happening as well as these astral abductions because I feel like speaking with people, people are finding that that may be happening more so to them where they're actually, you know, being visited in their dreams or almost taken to some other kind of dimension or something uh, along those lines because, yeah, it's interesting to, I guess, when you're trying to explain this to maybe someone who's skeptical 
and you can kind of I can understand why it's maybe a bit difficult for them to understand because you have two very different ways of you know these experiences taking place and I feel like people struggle to get their head around that but I mean all I can kind of all I can really come at it with is like you know the the first hand experiences that we're receiving where yes yeah, some of these are clearly physical you know people having physical marks or you know even once again the missing time if someone's actually missing for a number of hours and you know other family members or whomever doesn't you know can't uh account for that amount of time that they've gone or, you know, once again, uh, which I feel like, yeah, it's definitely becoming more of a common thing. If not, maybe just people are becoming more aware of this is, yeah, you're in, you're in bed at night and, you know, these, yeah, these beings are approaching the subduction this way. Um, could you, can you, I mean, as you said, you're not really sure maybe what happens necessarily during the actual experience, but how would you, do you have any idea of how the physical and maybe more of the astral abduction differ? Like, is there, do you think there's a reason for one or the other or, you know, do you, I'll take children. Like, uh, since I, since I've been around them since I guess literally infancy, like I kind of grew up around them in the sense that what I can remember of my many experiences, many of them were just me like being around them and asking them questions like any child would. Um, like there's a couple times I would be with them on a ship or they would be running a test. Like I would be present in some form and I would just ask them questions about what was going on or why it was happening or things that confused me. And they would just answer like it was this nonchalant thing for them. They'd be like, yeah, well, this is happening because we need this. And then I'd be like, oh, well, what about this other thing? And they'd be like, oh, well, that's more complicated. That's harder to explain. Um, so I remember I asked them a couple times. I was like, you know, why, why are you always visiting at night? Like. I like seeing you. Why don't, why don't you come during the day? Like we all know that you exist. And I, I meant like my family. I'm like, we all know you exist. So like, why, why do you come in like strangers? Um, and as I got older, I got different responses. Like, I think I probably asked this like seven times. Um, but when I was really little, they, they would say that it's because uh, mainly that the world is a good place, but it's not, the best place all the time and that them visiting and then wanting to see me and my family and to do the things they needed to do um, was really important, but they didn't want to upset things in the world around them. And then like, probably when I was like uh, a tween or an older teenager, like I remember I asked again, they were like, well, you know, it's, they, they were very frank at that point. There was one gray ass and he was like, well, you know, like we can't exactly just walk through your door in the middle of the day. Like before we would even get there, we would have to walk into your apartment building and there would be all kinds of things that would ensue from there. And by the time we reached through your door, even if we stopped every single thing that was going to happen that would prevent us from visiting you, that would still leave a pile of people unconscious somewhere. So that's not really ideal. But they did explain to me that the the main reason that they had to visit and why some of their visits were so strange or painful was that like they were doing, they are doing important research, important work. And for all the ways that they can try to make it easier or, you know, avoid inconveniences for everyone involved, they still have to do it. And that like they don't need cooperation from all of the humans, all of the people they're studying, but they very much appreciate it because they have to do things that they have to do, like research. Is there anything else that you've asked and received an answer that might be worth sharing? Like anything 
at all. It's very it's very interesting when experiences uh, are able to have these conversations with their with these beings, you know. So I'm always so fascinated to just yeah anything that comes to mind that you've asked and what sort of answers that you've received. Well, I remember in a, I was probably in middle school or high school, and I was sitting next to a gray while I was standing in this bright room and. This gray was looking at something like some kind of device. And I remember I had just done something on that device for them. And I was sitting there and I was like, I was like, you know, they told me at school that nuclear is the best energy source. And I remember I just said that aloud. Like I was just thinking about it. Like it was just a lesson from like a day ago or something. And that statement was so jarring to the gray that was right next to me that they dropped everything and they just looked at me and they emanated this sense of shock. Cause like, these beings aren't very expressive. Like they don't, I've seen them try to emote things, but their, their facial muscles are really small. They're really atrophied. So the, the most you'll see is like, like a place where their eyebrow would be would twitch or, you know, the corners of their mouth will go up and down, but they can't really express much more than that. So when they're being expressive, when they're having like an emotional moment, they sort of emanate it. Um, you feel it instead of seeing it. So as I said that, this gray just stops and turns towards me and is just emanating this like shock. And it's just like, like telepathically they say to me, and they, they don't use English when they're speaking to me and they don't use a voice either. Like I, I've only heard a gray actually vocalize something once and it was like a yellow surprise. Um, it's always telepathic communication and that communication consists of symbols that are from their language uh it consists of images it consists of sounds it consists of like clips of memories or concepts that they've made in their brain that they're showing to me so when he turns towards me and he's like conveying this shock like he conveys like imagery and symbolism of like who told you that like with this incredible like sort of feeling coming off of him and i was like well you know in school they said that there's like coal and there's like uh like wood and there's like steam, but that nuclear is, is the best energy source. And I remember this gray is just like, no, that is completely wrong. <laughs> it was so funny because then he got this like authoritative tone and he's like, don't you ever believe that nuclear is not the most efficient energy by far. Like, it's like he was getting mad on my behalf that I was taught that. And I was like, at that point I, started to remember a bit of what I'd been told before. And I was like, oh, like your energy source is the most efficient, right? And when I said your energy source, I, I meant what they've taught me before, which is that like they have this method of gathering energy, which is like sort of overlapping magnetic fields that creates a type of torus that distorts space-time so much that it opens up like a hole to another dimension, another physical dimension. And from that whole energy just seeps out of it because it's a really high energy dimension, apparently. So it's like kind of like digging a hole um, into like a frozen lake to reach the water underneath. That's like metaphorically how they get energy. Um, so I was like, oh, well, this is the most efficient, right? And he's like, yes, yes, it's the most efficient. And he was like, you scared me for a second. I was like, why? And he's like, I, you didn't believe that, did you? And I was like, well, well, they said that's the best. And it's not like humans are liars. <laughs> and he was like, they weren't lying, but they're ignorant. That's not true. And I was like, okay, okay. Uh, but it's like, 
normally they don't have these big, strong reactions. And I mean, if you were standing there like maybe 10 feet away, you wouldn't have even realized that this gray was having this big emotional moment. Um, but they do have like very occasionally, very rarely, like these strong emotions emanate from them. And that was, that was just a really funny moment for me. Like in the moment I was like terrified. I was like, why is he mad? Like what happened? But then I, I realized, oh, it's because it's because he's a nerd and he has to correct inaccuracies. Okay. That's, that's one way I've learned actually a lot of things that these, these grays didn't want me knowing. I would just say the wrong thing and they're, Inability to let false information stand in the rest. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's so interesting to, as you said, like evoke an emotional reaction because, yeah, that's that's such a typical attribute, isn't it, that these beings are very very cold in a sense, you know, they don't, um, yeah, they really don't show any emotion. So yeah, to kind of get a glimpse into that's really interesting. Is it the same, uh, the same beings all the time, which are taking you or is there a variety or how does that play out? I would say that, um, though I can't remember everything, I would say probably between 60 and 90% of my experiences were exclusively with these tall gray beings. Um, in the environments where I would see these tall gray beings, where they would take me, there was usually also a group of short grays that were, I don't know, shorter than the average person. So they're about the height of a middle schooler, um, these little shorter grays. Um, and when I met them as a kid, um, the taller grays would tell me, like, these are your friends, like, they're like us, you know, just be kind to them and they'll be kind to you. And I was like, oh, okay. But as I got older, they started to explain to me that, like, the shorter grays that live with them on the ships are kind of like a relative of theirs. Like they're genetically similar. Um, but the shorter grays are sort of built different. So in the typical, uh, what's the word, uh, life cycle of a tall gray, they've told me that they, uh, they are created like their embryo is either made or edited 
and then they're put into a tank and that tank basically grows them until they're like an older teenager size. And then they're born, like they exit the tank and they enter gray society. And then from there they get taught, they learn what role they want to take in gray society. They start to uphold that role. And then they, you know, they progress through that role or do what they want to do as they live in the collective until they die. But for the small grays, from what they've told me, it the the process kind of starts similar where they start with an embryo. Um, but the short gray embryos have a distinctly different genetic makeup and that's purposeful. And so when these short grays are growing in these tanks, they put specific pieces of technology inside of these embryos. So by the time that they're kind of like young adult sized for short grays and they come out, they have these aspects of technology seamlessly integrated into their bodies and into their minds. So from what the grays have explained to me, like these short grays, they have personhood, you know, they're people, they have consciousness, but they they have an aspect of like uh, artificial intelligence or in the sense they're like technologically connected. So in that sense, like I, I've known that these little grays, like tall grays, they operate kind of like a hive mind, like they all share information with each other constantly. But the the short grays, they're even more like that. Like they have individuality and they'll they'll be individuals, but they they are very interconnected and they share a lot of their experiences as if they all went through it first person. Mm. And they've told me that smaller grays do they're built for certain tasks in the ship and they can go outside of that, but they kind of like fill a niche in the gray collective. That's a great insight because I'm sure you're familiar that the amount of people who report the shorter greys almost seeming different or I've even, you know, it's interesting you use like the word artificial intelligence as well because people I've read almost relate them more to like a robot in a sense, you know, they're these kind of, or even as you kind of like using the beehive kind of um, analogy, like they oh, are yeah. really like the worker bee kind of, they take that role, you know, and it's, it's interesting to hear more insight to why that why that is. So they're not specifically something that is, made by the larger beings, but they're actually, you know, they have consciousness, but they fulfill a different role within that system. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I, I I, know that one tall gray at some point, because I think I asked them, I was like, oh, well, you know, like, what do, like, little gray little kids look like? And this gray was like, oh, they don't have kids. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Because I was like, little kid, you know, so confused. Um, and the gray was like, well, you know, because of the specific niche they fill in our society and because of, you know, their capacities in some ways that are, you know, then limited in other ways, he was like, you know, the, the tall gray part of our collective oversees reproduction of both groups. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, it didn't make sense to me as a kid, but I was like, you know, that, that kind of happens when you're a kid. A lot of things don't make sense. Do you know much, have they, have they expressed much about their society to how they operate and I guess the differences between us and them. Oh yeah, like honestly, that was that was actually a point of contention for me growing up, um, because I I tried to emulate their behavior and sort of like fully understand the grays and how they work. But it was kind of impossible, not totally impossible, but it was extremely difficult for me to do as a child because, you know, a lot of what grays do and what they operate from is sort of like a very biologically predisposed place. So, you know, you put a human in that environment and you're like, well, the human could learn to be like them to an extent that's true. But, you know, 
humans have their own biologically predisposed state of mind and, you know, instincts and ideas and forms of being. So as I was growing up, I I get really frustrated with them sometimes because I would try to emulate them because they were examples and they would tell me, oh, you should do better. You could do this instead. But then there'd be times where I, I would get so frustrated with them. Like I remember one time I, I think that uh, for a period of my life, I was living in a home with my, with my mom and my siblings where we had a bunch of cats. And I think we had found out that one of the younger cats or a kitten had passed away. And I was really, really sad about it. And when they asked me why I was sad, I was like, oh, well, this kitten passed away. And I just feel so sad because like they, they passed away before they could experience life. And I almost feel like I robbed them of that, even though I wasn't even involved in how they passed. And, and the girl that asked me, I was like, oh, okay. And just like continued on with what they were doing. And I got mad. I was like, you should be sad with me. And And they were like, what? And I was a kid doing this. I was like, incredulous with them. I was like, you, you need to be sad with me because I'm sad. And they were like, what do you mean? And I'm like, the kitten died. It's horrible. And they were like, I conceptually understand that a kitten passed away. And I'm like, no, you don't. It hurts. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, look, like it's, it hurts for you. I understand that. And it makes me sad too, but I don't feel it like that. And I got mad and I was like, well, you should. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? The I guess we always make the comparison um, to how we respond in conjunction to them. And it is always that thing of, um, I guess it's probably why there's a lot of fear built in as well, because I guess something that doesn't really show emotion or empathy, you could say it's probably the big one, is um, it is a frightening idea because like, what are they then capable of without, you know, they understand... I guess I understand the the situation in the most standard way. Yeah, it's obviously just something that comes up time, time again with these beings. But it's, yeah, it's really fascinating that you're kind of getting more and more of these sort of insights. What about, is there any particular reason that you have these experiences with your family? Was there, um, I know there's a lot of different sort of opinions around why. Oh, there absolutely are. Yeah, like I'm so so. What? Yeah, what? What do? You, where do you stand with that? Have you gotten any um, definite kind of answers around that? Oh, I've gotten like I've gotten pretty direct answers from them. And as a teenager, I I told them they were lying. I was like, "There's no way that's true." When I was a kid, and I asked them, I was like, "I." It was around the time where I, I started to develop an awareness of like things happen when I'm not there sort of like an awareness of, oh, there's a world around me. There's not just me. And I remember one of the first things I asked them is I was like, why why do you go away sometimes? Because I started to realize that I don't always see them. And I, I hadn't yet distinguished that these beings I was seeing was not necessarily a part of normal life. To me, this was like totally normal. And they were like, well, we go sometimes because we get busy and, you know, your your main home is with your mother and your father and like, it's, it's just where you belong right now. And at that point, I then asked them, I was like, well, do you like show up for everyone? Do you, do you hang out with everyone at night? I was kind of asking in the sense of like, do all grays just visit people at night? Like, that was my question. Um, and I was talking to this female gray and she was like, well, no, it doesn't really happen like that. And I was like, so, so then why, why do you go away? But then you come back. 
like, because people don't always do that for each other. And she was like, oh, it's because we're family. And I was like, oh, okay. And then that was what they told me as a child. And I just, I took that at face value. I was like, yeah, we're family. Okay. Um, But when I got older, when I became a teenager, I asked them again. I was like, why do you keep showing up in the middle of the night? What do you want with my family? Um, And they, they were very, very direct. Like, I was kind of saying this passive aggressively, like I was saying it to myself, but I knew Grace could hear me thinking it. I was just, why, why are they always bothering me? What is this? I don't understand. It's frustrating. Um, and one of them just, just stopped what they were doing. Cause they were like talking to two other Grays. It was this male Gray. He like walked up in front of me cause I was facing away from them. So he walked until I was facing him and he was like, Hey, so I, I, I was looking down. So I lift my gaze up into his big eyes and he's like, you know why. And I was like, no, I don't. And I was like super angry, super frustrated teenager. And he was like, it's because we're family. And I was like, well, just because I grew up around you doesn't mean that I'm family. He's like, you're a hybrid, you're family. And like, that was, that was this really, really frustrating thing for me as a teenager. I just hated the idea of that. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want to accept it. I was just so frustrated and I mean when I was when I was a kid not a little kid just like a middle schooler I remember I asked them I was like how long have have you been like with my family like my mom knows you uh you know do does did all my family know you and they they told me that like they met my grandmother when she was young and she agreed to work with the Grays, and from there, they've been working with my family since then. Wow. Coming to that realization of, I guess, being a part of this program where, where your genetic makeup is fused with theirs, I mean, I guess you've had your lifetime to kind of deal with that, but I can imagine that's quite a, I mean, that's pretty bizarre, right, to... To it accept, is. right? It absolutely is. I mean, I I was always a bit of a weird child. Um, I can definitely say that I, I have autistic leanings or whatever that is. Um, so as a kid, I was always trying to like fit in and be accepted and make sense of social situations and find my place in them. So like, you know, as a young teenager, sort of realizing that like, oh no, it's not that I'm just like, bad at this or that I'm kind of weird. I'm this whole other fucking creature. Like it it was, it was difficult to accept. And throughout my childhood growing up, there were certain things that would happen with some consistency that I learned to fear from my mother because my mother recognized that as a sign of me being a hybrid. So like one thing that happens, it still happens. I just try not to let it happen. Um, is that when I get sleepy or it's kind of like late at night and I'm feeling just a little bit drowsy or a little bit relaxed, if I'm talking to someone and it's like, not like a short conversation, but like a, a somewhat long conversation or a decent conversation, like there's like a 30% likelihood that while I'm talking to them, I'll just answer a question before they ask it or I'll reply to them before they say something. And it's happened a few times. Well, I mean, a few of us happened my whole life. And every time it happens, they're like, whoa, how did you know I was going to ask that? And I was like, oh, lucky guess. But no, it's because like greys are primarily creatures that communicate through telepathy. And I guess telepathy in some passive form is something I've always had. 
personally, I find that to be an issue because I, I don't know. A, the mind that a gray has on like a psychic level, on like a mental scape, a mindscape sort of perspective, it's usually very organized. It's very neat. It's really complex. So like if you could imagine like walking into a large cathedral, that's a little bit like what experiencing a gray mind is because it's it's a very big place. It's very complex. It's got lots of nuances and lots of things happening. Whereas like I can say for sure that like the mental scape of the average person is it's kind of like a trailer home in the sense that or like a, a mobile home where you walk in and it's really cluttered or it can be really cluttered and it's it, it can be organized, but it's a small space that you're working with. Um, but because of the way people are, you know, the instincts that we experience, the, you know, the ideas we have, the experiences we have, like, I, I end up having like a distinct dislike of experiencing other people, other humans on a psychic level, because I really don't like some aspects of humanity. Like, you know, as animals, we have instincts, like the instinct to reproduce, the instinct to survive, the instinct to protect our territories. And greys really don't have instincts in the same way that we do. They're very muted in greys. So mentally interacting with a creature like a human, it's like it's like getting hit with all these different sensations at once. And it's because we have these really strong instincts that really drive our behavior. So personally, it's, it's a lot to do with. Uh, I would say another thing that's come about, I'm guessing from my heritage is that like, I have excellent night vision. I don't have perfect night vision, um, but before I started needing glasses, I could see things really, really well in the dark all the time. So do you believe now that your grandmother has kind of signed this almost like this contract in a sense? So any other family members after your generation now will also be having these experiences, do you think? Oh, I, I believe it. Um, like I, I remember I was having a discussion with a gray. I, I think it was a female gray and we were just talking like I was waiting for something to happen. She was waiting for something to happen. And I asked her, I was like, Hey, so like, you know, and they've told me before, like over the course of my childhood that their, their research is to fix a really pressing issue in their society. So I remember I was talking to them. I was like, Hey, well, you know, another gray told me that like, you know, the genetics of my family are really important. So like, what does that even mean though? Like, can you elaborate on that? She's like, Oh yeah, sure. So she started getting into it and she was like, so basically for our project, for what we're trying to do, we need certain expressions of a genome that are highly or at least moderately compatible with the overall gray genome. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So like puzzle pieces. And she was like, yeah, like puzzle pieces. And she's like, but in order to find these arrangements, she said that like sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's really hard. And I was like, well, what makes it easy? And she's like, well, she said that DNA has a resonant frequency it sits on. And so every protein, every detail in a DNA structure is kind of conveyed through that resting frequency. So she said some people who are compatible are really easy to find because their frequency is already kind of similar to grace. So they can kind of pick it out if they're nearby. Um, but she said it's difficult for others because even though the DNA might be a little bit or even a lot compatible. The DNA isn't activated. And I was like, well, activated how? I was like, what do you mean by that? And she used two analogies. She said one analogy she used was like, you know how yeast is used to make bread? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you know that yeast is also stored in a dry state, right? And I was like, 
I think so. She knew more about bread making than I did at that age. <laughs> so she's like, bread is stored in a dry state. Like, I know this, this is a thing in your culture. I was like, oh, okay. She's like, but when you're cooking with bread, you have to take yeast from that inactive state to an active state. I was like, okay. She's like, so you have to induce a high energy state in the yeast. I was like, okay. And she's like, and you do that by creating favorable conditions for the yeast. And I was like, okay. She's like, so DNA can activate in favorable conditions, but otherwise it can remain dormant. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, but what is, what does the activation part entail? And she's like, and she showed me this image of a candle in the dark, like an unlit candle. And she's like, you see the candle? And I'm like, yes. And then in the image, the candle like sparks to a flame and is burning. And she's like, you see the candle now? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, is the candle activated? And I'm like, yes, it's activated. And she's like, DNA is kind of the same way. Like it holds an energy. And when it's activated, that that energy it's holding, that potential energy is flowing. And I was like, oh, all right. So I was talking to her about it. And she said that for my family specifically, there were a lot of little DNA structures or DNA details or like proteins that are pretty, pretty compatible with them. Um, she said that when they went to check the DNA of my family, like before I was born, they were actually surprised how compatible it ended up being. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so she was explaining to me, she was like, so, you know, we're looking for this compatible DNA and, you know, we're trying to fit these pieces together, like puzzle pieces from two different puzzle boxes. And I was like, all right. And she's like, but the issue becomes that if we put too many puzzle pieces from the gray box with pieces from the human box, the whole puzzle falls apart. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, so, so what are you doing? And she's like, we're trying to find a place in the human puzzle box where every single gray piece can fit in without dominating the human puzzle. And I was like, okay. Um, so kind of like leaving the metaphor aside, what she was saying is that like, the gray collective, the gray civilization that she's a part of, that I'm involved with, um, is trying to find all the compatible DNA it can, but they're not trying to change humanity. They're just trying to sort of find enough human DNA that they can keep the gray DNA they have stable. Because they've, they've told me inexhaustibly amount of times that like their DNA is falling apart. They're having severe genetic issues. And that if they can't find a solution within a certain time frame, they will die out as a species. I've heard more recently from them that they they've kind of found the solution at that point. So they're not they're not as urgent, they're not as hurried right now. But when I was a kid, it was still pretty urgent. So they were like, you know, we're trying, I mean, a couple of grays have told me this, that they're they're trying to do things in a way that doesn't really hurt humanity, that doesn't really cause permanent damage, but that they're they don't completely have a choice in the matter because if they don't do enough, they'll die out. Yeah, but I mean, that definitely plays into, I guess, the phenomenon that people have come to at least, you know, have some sort of understanding about is, you know, they seem to be in a bit of a dire situation and I guess, yeah, they have found something within our civilization which they can benefit from. And it does sound like in a lot of cases too, even just through say it's passing through knowledge or what can have you, that there can be a positive that they bring to us also. Do you know any more about that? If they are sort of doing anything to better us or are they kind of just... Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny because like, you know, I'm about to get into like the good they do for humanity. Um, but like from like humanity's overall social perspective of like gray looking aliens, there's this very negative connotation, mm. you know? 
Very. Like, I, I brought up, like, gray aliens a lot in, like, online spaces on the internet. And the first reaction I get is, oh, my God, like, don't say that here. Like, taboo, bad word. And I'm like, I'm like, is alien a bad word? And someone else will be like, no, the Pleiadians are great. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, the, the positive things that I've seen them do, that they've told me they're doing, um, mainly have to do with, like, affecting humanity as a greater organism, as a species. Because one thing that they, and they've even, they've affected me in this way is they've taught me like never take the planet for granted. And they've told me, and I've actually seen probably a handful of times that they'll, they'll take up just random human beings. Maybe they're going to examine these humans. Maybe they're going to take some DNA, but even if they don't do any of that, they, they take all these humans into a room. They put on, you know, this like projector showcase and they just, they show the earth's destruction. And that sounds terrible. It's like, oh my God, but, but they're doing that because they need to, well, they feel the need to instill in humanity the consequences of what will come from, you know, certain behaviors and like uh, sort of like certain drives that we have as a species and like, you know, what repercussions will come of that. Um, like I, I remember they showed me something where like this horrible disaster happened they kind of put me in this VR situation where I was watching this disaster unfold around me and I was one of the only survivors. And I, I remember I was so frustrated. I was so scared. I was probably like a really young teenager, like maybe like 12 to 14. And as the simulation kind of ended and I could feel it fading away from me, I was just like, why, why would you show me that? That's, that's horrible. That's terrifying. Like I can't, I can't be the same person that I was before I saw that. And before I fully came out of the simulation, like a great, like reached into my mind and said to me, they're like, we're telling you so that it doesn't happen. And that's kind of what their logic is. Cause I I've seen them before. They'll actually engage with people they're taking up. They'll have conversations sometimes. Um, I know most people don't usually remember having a conversation with grace, but I've seen them take like sleepwalking people or people who think they're dreaming and just take them aside and just have a conversation with them. Just because the human asked the question, or, you know, they're a little bit curious about this human. So they're asking this human questions. Um, and so I, I've seen before they'll have conversations and humans will be like, why do you keep saying that the planet is like so valuable? Um, I remember seeing this. It was, let's see. It was like a, a kid, a boy younger than me. It was, this was in the same time period. So like when I was like 12 to 14 and there was this boy and he was talking to them. And I think that from his perspective, they look like giant teddy bears. So he was definitely dreaming in that moment. Uh, but he went, he was talking to them. He's like, why are you saying that the planet is so important? Like, what is this big emphasis you're putting on it? He's like, I live on this planet. I know it's important. Um, and I was watching this conversation play out. I could hear what the greys were saying. And one gray was like, because like this planet is invaluable. You have no idea what it's like to not have a planet anymore. And like this kid, this kind of went over the kid's head. The kid was like, well, I'm not going to lose the earth. It's not like I'm going to misplace it. Um, but, it, you know, that's kind of the perspective where they're coming from. It's like, at least from what they've told me about their history, like the graves, they had a planet that they used to live on. And it wasn't solely because of like natural disasters and pollution, but it contributed to their planet becoming inhospitable and those that survived the planet becoming inhospitable. So suddenly they ended up having to leave into space and basically take refuge in space. 
So I've talked to them. I've talked to several grays so many times about Earth. And some of them will tell me, they're like, you have no idea how lucky you are that you're built to survive on your planet's surface. And I'm like, well, look, it's really not that great. Like there's people everywhere. There's cars. It's loud and annoying. Like you have to pay taxes. And they're like, no, no. Like, and they'll tell me, they're like, it's an unparalleled experience to have a whole planet to live on. And they, they tell me all the time, they're like, you know, take heart in that, appreciate that. And I'm like, okay, I'll appreciate it. And as a little backstory, I've never really polluted in my life. Like every time I make trash, I try to keep it on me until I can find a trash can. And that's that's their influence. Like they've, they've always taught me to value the planet. Um, so they, they'll like show people scary things and, you know, have these disaster simulations because from the sort of perspective that greys have, from the way they perceive reality, they see timelines, parallel timelines happening in real time around them. So like they'll see... Like I can say they can see from like anywhere from two minutes to 15 minutes into the future just by thinking about it. But they also see timelines of what could happen. So, you know, they'll see possible outcomes of like 15 minutes into the future. They'll see like between like two and five outcomes of the same event in the future and the likelihoods of those events happening. So for them, they they forecasted, they told me this, that when they decided to work with humanity and try to sort of give back to humanity while they are taking this DNA and doing these experiments, they looked into the future and they saw that if they show humanity these awful things and they scare humanity, that that's a better outcome for humanity than just taking a human and telling them, you need to stop polluting the planet. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm totally resonating with what you're saying because it seems to be an ongoing theme is these beings really caring about our demise in a sense. You know, like it does seem like people who have these interactions seem to, not all the time obviously because as you've referenced just before, uh, the word greys is quite a derogatory term in a sense like around <laughs> the internet. You know what I mean? It is, it is a, it's, yeah. it's a term which, you know, you get shut down not so much shut down, but people, they already have this stigma, right? And um, Yeah. But it is interesting because at this point now, I've spoken to a lot of different people, a lot of different walks of life, and, I mean, I'd have to really sit down and think about it. But I think for the most part, I mean, it's probably, it might become more like a 50-50 kind of thing for people who either have maybe embraced the situation where they can't change these abductions and maybe have tried to seek answers and then there's maybe Mm -hmm. people who have more of a negative stance on it and they don't really want to know uh, anymore because they just don't even want the experience to happen, which, you know, and that seems to kind of be the two sides to fall on, I suppose. But um, for someone like yourself who, you know, has really tried to seek some answers about what's going on, um, there typically is uh, a benefit 
I suppose it comes out of these experiences where you can better yourself or try to better the situation around you, you know. So um, I'm curious, is there, do you, do you kind of, and this is like kind of like a weird thing to ask or even answer, but do you okay. feel there's kind of like a, a maybe a higher sense of self from these experiences where maybe you feel like you actually have a specific thing you're meant to do while you're here, you know, whether that's to kind of spread this word or something within your life where you think that's an attribute from these beings? Well, I I can say for sure that growing up, um, especially in moments where like I could feel a lot of kindness and affection from greys, like we, I don't know, having a good moment together, they they would tell me, they would look me in the eyes and, and they would say like, Snacky, you're our future. And I would be like, but you're going to be there too. We're going to have a future together, <laughs> like as a kid. And they're like, I know, but Snacky, you carry our future on your shoulders. And as a kid, when they would say that when I was very young, I I would be like, is it is it water? Is it going to be like heavy? And they would reply in that metaphorical way. They'd be like, it will be heavy, but you can carry it. And I'm like, do I have to carry it now? And they're like, you don't have to carry it now. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> To be honest, they told me a lot growing up that they kind of, they want me to like step in and show people a better way. They're hoping that in imparting so much that they have to me, I can help not only just show people how to be better, but also show people different ways of doing things that no one has ever seen before, like healthier ways of doing things. When I was in middle school, I I had this experience where it, it played out roughly over two weeks where my my psychic abilities started to get kind of strong or at least my sensitivity I started to sense a lot more and then sort of in the second part of the second week is when all these memories suddenly came crashing into my head and it was memories of a past life it was this huge huge conglomeration of all these different experiences from this entirely different lifespan from this entirely different creature. At the time, in that time frame of my life, I had no idea what was going on. I was just kind of panicking because like, you know, a month ago I could see a person and be like, I guess that person looks a little shady. But then like going into that week, I could look at that person and, and see and sense pieces of what they've done in their life before they've met me. So I could look at a person and I can see, oh, like this person kind of hates their parents. Oh man, they used to yell at their parents. Why did they hate their parents? Oh, because their parents let them down when they were little. Like it was that weird level of insight. And it was terrifying though, because I could look at an adult and I could I could sense that, hey, this this adult is like not safe at all. Oh my God, like this adult attacks people when no one is watching. Like, oh my God, this is this is a dangerous person. Now as an adult looking back on it, I, I have a memory of being around greys that actually corresponds exactly with that two-week time frame. And so what happened is that I remember the greys led me to this room that was kind of empty except for a chair. It was this big round room. It had like double doors spaced out um, in four directions of the room. And there was this chair in the middle. And they were like, we need you to sit in this chair. You're going to have a profound experience. And I was like, is it going to be bad? Is it going to hurt? And they were like, no, it's not going to hurt, but it's going to be intense. So as I sit in the chair, I'm like, so what's going to happen? Like, wow, what's the reason for doing this? And 
the one who was with me, he was like, okay, well, you know, Snacky, it's time you remembered. The time is now. And I was like, okay. So I sit in this chair and I'm sitting in a room where one of their AI is. So as I sit in this chair, I feel this sort of consciousness connect to my mind and it's the AI. And the AI is like, I'm going to show you the, the program now. They're like, I'm going to run this, this program in your head. And I was like, okay. So my mind's eye, the, my view of the room around me starts to become obscured by the images this AI is showing me. And it's these very beautiful but complex geometric shapes shifting in and out of place, becoming different shapes. Like it's all very symmetrical and tidy and it's like mesmerizing, like it's hypnotic. Um, so I'm seeing all these things in my mind's eye and as they play out, it seems like what I'm watching gets faster and faster, but I'm not sure if that actually happened. And then I reach a certain point where suddenly, at least to me, it looks like all the shapes stop moving and shifting. And I am I'm suddenly seeing this entire life play out. It, it's like I'm watching a movie, but somehow I'm, I'm sitting there in those scenes, seeing everything. Um, and so it's all kind of hits me like a ton of bricks and... It, like it happens all at once. It feels like it happens in a second. Like I just, I see this entire lifetime. And so I'm snapped out of it and I'm like slumped over in the chair and I'm like, Oh my, wow. Why is my, Oh no, this is, this is way too much information. And, uh, one of these grays walks to me and sort of, I was slumped over in the chair at that point. They kind of sit me up and they look at me and they're like, it's going to be a lot, but what you're going to remember is good for you. It's what you made. Um, and I blacked out from there. Um, but basically what happened in this two week time span is that they triggered my past life's memories to come to the surface. And my two weeks of weird shit happening was those memories then seeping into my day life or, my, you know, like my everyday consciousness. So after I sort of received these past life memories in waking life, uh, my psychic abilities slowly started to drop off again. And that was a relief because at the time, the psychic abilities were overwhelming. I know a lot of people would see it as like this amazing thing. Like, oh yeah, you can see people. Says, no, it was terrifying. I was a child. I didn't know what to do with that information. Like I'd look at my mom and I would see that she had like a life of resentment, a lifelong resentment. And I was like, what do you do with that as a child? That's amazing um, but, though. Like, I think it's so interesting yeah. that so much of this all plays into the abduction phenomena, like past lives and, you know, having these abilities at times. It's, it's just incredible how constantly so many of these aspects just, inter- they're so interchangeable, you know, and it's really, oh, yeah. it makes it. They're it, all like quantitatively connected. Yeah. And I guess it makes a lot more sense for why it's so difficult to explain exactly what's going on because there's so much that really goes into it and any one of those pieces of phenomena is hard enough to kind of come to terms with. But when it's all happening at the same time, I mean, that's that's where, you know, that's why we're having this conversation now because we're really just trying to get a little bit more of an understanding to, you know, oh, this yeah. phenomena, you know? Absolutely. Like it's, I've thought about it as a child and I, I've tried to sort of explain like tertiary topics to ETs as a kid and like like psychic ability or like near-death experiences or uh, like the the sort of weird phenomena that comes into play where people like avoid their own deaths or can sense other people are in danger. Um, and it's, you know, these are all considered so fringe 
in our society day to day that like getting a person even accustomed to one of those topics without bias or skepticism is pretty difficult unless they've already experienced something like that. Uh, and like uh, going back to the, the, the memories of this life that I remembered, like when I was like the, this memory hit me like a bag of trucks and I'm sorry, a bag of bricks hit me like a truck. But when I started to make sense of it over the course of a few days and then a few months, I, I realized that this lifetime I remembered was of this alien being on a different planet somewhere with a blue star and that they had lived their life learning and, you know, striving to support their community and doing good and striving to overcome even like kind of like the human condition, but for whatever being they were. So they were striving to surpass sort of like the condition that they were as a living creature and near the end of this being's life, um, they decided that they had kind of, they had kind of reached a pinnacle of understanding that they felt satisfied with in what life was, in what suffering was, in what, uh, community meant and in what love and compassion meant. And so near the end of this being's life, uh, there's this other alien that comes from off world to actually, um, but they're not native to that planet. They're a different kind of creature. And they, they show up on the planet and they end up telling this alien before they die, hey, there's this planet called Earth with these really, really struggling creatures called humans. And they really need help right now. And we're looking for volunteers for this planet. And they end up telling the being in my memories, hey, do you want to reincarnate onto Earth? Like that would help them out a lot. You know, you'd have to spend your whole life there because you'd be human, but you'd be helping. And the, the being in my memories is like, that's perfect. That's what I want to do. I want to I help the world, even if it's not mine. Um, and so in this past life memory, I see this being die. And they, they spend a period of time mourning the people that are mourning them. And then they decide to leave the planet. They travel through space. It happens really fast. Like they use a portal or something. They get to Earth. They meet a gray. The gray's like... Hey, you remember how you were told you were probably going to reincarnate as a human? And the being is like, yeah, like I'm, I'm psyched for that. I'm ready. And the gray is like, well, we need some people to be hybrids. And the being is like, is, is that like, do, do they still live on the surface? Is it going to be a different kind of life? And the gray is like, oh, it's, it's going to be on the surface. It's going to be kind of the same life. And the gray is like, but it's going to be harder. There's going to be more suffering. And the being in my memory is like, oh, that's fine. I'm ready for it. And the gray is like, no, you don't understand. It's, it's going to be a dramatically harder life than just being human. And the being in my memories is like, sign me up. And that's where the memory ends. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a higher sense of self and purpose by the sounds of that. Oh, yeah. Like it kind of triggered this this whole change in my conceptual identity and how I behaved as a middle schooler from that point on, I was like, Oh my God, like I have this responsibility. I, I, I need to be an adult like yesterday. Um, but it helped me a lot too. Cause like before that point I was really drowning in like, uh, a lot of dynamics and issues that I didn't understand. Like I, my family doesn't have the healthiest dynamics in the world. It's actually pretty unhealthy. So at that point in my life, I was actually struggling to figure out if my mother really loved me and my siblings or if she was only taking care of us because, like, social obligation. 
Um, but after I remembered this past life of mine, I was like, well, either way, it doesn't really matter because I'm here, she's here, and right now we're a family. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, I mean, you've covered so much like in such a short amount of time, but it's so it's so interesting from my point of view as someone who is trying to figure out how I fit into all of this. Um, I feel that there's a very big picture and there are a lot of missing pieces. Yeah, 100%, right? And um, everything you've said is, I mean, it's a great, it's an amazing insight and you have stated a lot of things that you kind of hear from, you know, it's never exactly the same, but, you know, people on the same sort of journey, once again, putting these pieces together to kind of figure out what all this means, you know, and it's just that thing of um, it's it's great confirmation, I think, that we, we're not actually that far off, I think, trying to get answers. I mean, within at least, oh, yeah. at least with these particular beings, you know what I mean? Which weirdly enough, like, well, not weirdly enough, but I feel like the greys are a massive player at the moment. Like they, they seem to be, you know, it seems to be the thing that a lot of the people I speak with anyway, and I'm not sure why, but um, I think, mm-hmm. but it is interesting because some answers I've kind of received of late um, I'm kind of leaning towards that any any potential experiences I've had um, mm-hmm. is, is a good possibility it's with them. And I feel like they're, oh, yeah. I feel like that may not be a coincidence then if that's the people I'm kind of speaking with here because I've kind of received some confirmation that uh, mm-hmm. my sense of purpose is to kind of be doing exactly this, sort of having a vessel for people to speak openly as openly as you know as they choose about this phenomena in such a way that it's a little different to maybe other mediums of media you could say you know where mm-hmm. it's oh, absolutely. very much so kind of wearing my heart on my sleeve over here and um i appreciate it oh well, thank you for that because yeah it's it, it's honestly, and I, I say this all the time, but it's to the point where it's not even something that I want to be doing. It's that I need to be doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's... I agree with that. It's definitely... I think that that was sort of the big reason to really start to try to look inwards and get some answers around this. And it makes... It's kind of comforting to to know that this isn't just like in interest for me, that it, it actually may be kind of part of a bigger picture of playing a role with all this, you know, trying to actually bring some credible truth to at least, you know, the firsthand kind of experiencer because, you know, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of time and a lot of noise put around um, the, at least at the moment, you know, government involvement with craft and so on. And that's never something that, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not something that really resonates with me. You know, I think I, oh, yeah. you know, it's, when there's so many, you know, millions of people having very similar experiences from all different walks of life all over the world, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty hard to ignore that. And, you know, people can focus their time on whatever they choose, but yeah, the whole... It's a movement, for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly right. But it's, it's um, I don't know, I always just feel like the longer I do this, the closer 
I mean, at least I'm getting to yeah. sort of like being a bigger picture. Totally. Like how it connects. Yeah. It, it's weird because it never really, it just kind of has. It never stops. It just gets bigger. No, but it's just, it's amazing that people like yourself are happy to um, speak to myself, obviously, and to the, the audience because, um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's it's very important. I I know exactly what you mean. Like uh, when I first made that Twitter account and I started talking about it, I was terrified and I, a part of me really didn't want to do it. But I, I thought to myself, if I go my entire life without ever having talked about this, I will live a life with regrets. Mm. So. Yeah. And that's, well, and that's great that you, you went through with it because yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I've always had interest in the paranormal and the, the strange, you know, and um, I mm. guess I I didn't really think it would play as big of a part in a sense in my life. Like thinking about it now, it's all just kind of unfolded and I can kind of compartmentalise it quite well where I need to sort of put it to the side at times to focus on other things, you know. I, I don't really try to let it encompass everything because it's um that's a scary thought i think to um oh yeah you know as as yeah I'm it sure can it's, be yeah it's very easy like, uh, isn't it? it is like when i when i got my twitter off the ground and i i went on a couple of podcasts and i was just talking about all this stuff like it really got to me in the sense that like I was sort of like living and breathing this reality. Yeah, there's aliens. They do weird things. I don't understand why they do weird things. I'm also an alien, apparently. Um, and it's, I think it, it ends up being so intense because like, on the one hand, you know, we're creatures that live in the present. So we react to the present. We think about the present. We try to plan for the present. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we we're creatures that live in this society that's built by, you know, all of us. We all work in it. We all sort of help it move and function. And, you know, thinking that there's this possibly even bigger society out there that kind of has ours in a bubble is like kind of terrifying. Like, I don't think that human brains are designed to cope with that kind of situation, you know? No, not really. Hey, it's just so much bigger than anything we can really comprehend in a sense. And I guess that's what, you know, it's it's kind of like I guess there's things that we're not really supposed to know, but yeah, like there's some of us who get this glimpse into this other thing, and I don't know. You have to kind of do with that what you will, but it sounds like a. I'm glad it's a positive outcome for yourself that you're able to, you. you know, you're able to try to do some good with it, and you know, you don't live your life um, sort of dreading uh, the inevitable in a sense. You know, if this is this needs to happen. So, but no, uh, I really appreciate you. Yeah. Just taking the time. I'm glad. Like I was once in a position where I was more confused than I was sure. And I had more questions than I had answers. So I'm really glad I could give some to you. Well, there you go. There was interview with an abductee. Once again, I love getting to do this segment. It's always interesting. I always find I get a lot out of these interviews. It's really reassuring a lot of the time. And it's always just interesting to hear people's firsthand experiences, especially someone like um, the woman we spoke to today, who has spent a lot of time over the years trying to figure out exactly what 
this experience has been. And it's just interesting too, I think, uh, in this kind of case, I almost know the answers that they're going to give before they give, they're giving them just because I feel like some of these experiences follow a really similar pattern. And you can look at that in two ways, I suppose. Um, first of all, I'll look at it in the way of the believer, which I definitely am, don't get me wrong, where there's these patterns and that's really reassuring that a similar people are having similar experiences by obviously the same entities and the pattern is proving that it's actually happening to these people, right? Uh, there's the other the more skeptic side of things where has are people just kind of going off tropes of these experiences and, you know, um, kind of just following those patterns to, you know, tell these fictional stories. Um, I definitely think, as I always say, anyone who I have on this podcast, I do believe what they're telling me. Um, but of course, it's up to you at home to really weigh on that. But I think a lot of the time, um, you know, as you know, here on Parental Thoughts, I'm really trying to push the just the agenda of uh, educating us all on these specific topics, especially alien abduction, um, something that hits really close to home for me. Uh, but it's just interesting to, when you hear these accounts, you hear all the similarities and you can really, you can easily jump into those two minds, I guess, of like, well, either this is really happening um, and it's very similar for a lot of people or is everyone kind of um, maybe having something else going on, which is actually not these experiences and God forbid people kind of um, lying about these specific abductions. But I definitely think it's more uh, the first option where I do think there are patterns in this phenomena. And it's interesting that even just here, we're seeing that time, time again, speaking with people from all different walks of life. You know, I think it's it's a great piece of evidence, I think, um, that this is really happening to people. Not that I'm ever really doubting that, but it's just um, when you're having these conversations almost weekly or maybe, you know, every fortnight, um, it's... I mean, for any of you guys listening, if you do a lot of, if you spend a lot of time on these topics, it's really, um, you go through ups and downs with it, that's for sure. And um, yeah, this this interview, I think just hearing it back, it was just really reassuring. And I think that's kind of the, uh, that's the theme of this interview, of this interview. I don't really know why, uh, if, if it's just because I just resonated with it and it's just, nice to hear someone's experience that I can um, kind of take comfort in knowing that this this phenomenon is happening or if it's just I'm sort of at a place in my journey where I don't know hearing these specific accounts is really it really weighs heavily on myself in a lot of different ways Uh, it's hard to sometimes it's hard to really speak to that and for it to make sense because there's a lot of thoughts um, kind of going through my mind with it and I'm getting really sort of um, <laughs> getting a little deep with it especially you know it, this sort of needs to wrap up here finish the episode but um, I think some of you listening will probably kind of get where I'm coming from with it where you're forever questioning these experiences especially you know if you're an experience yourself how that relates to you and, um, yeah, how to best maybe get your own answers. And I guess if you're an experience that you believe you might be, 
when you hear, you know, interviews like this or, you know, on other um, forms of media, you know, you always put yourself in that position and think, is this the exact thing that's happening to me? And if it's not, then what is, what, what, what is it that I'm experiencing? You know, why the differences, why the similarities even? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to think about amongst everything else, you know, just your, your general everyday life. Um, yeah, you can really get bogged down in it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that little outro there was helpful to anyone, but I guess it was just kind of me um, reacting to what you would have just heard. And um, for those who are still here currently listening to um, listening to this little uh, conclusion, well, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you sticking around, taking the time to listen to the complete episode. But um, I'll leave it there. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as I mentioned earlier, please make sure you subscribe, share the podcast. You can find our socials. Everything is in the description of this podcast, the links and so on. Thank you to our guest once again for taking the time to speak with me and uh, to share her story with all of you. And I look forward to seeing you guys in another podcast episode really soon. Thanks. Bye.